Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey, and today I want to talk about one of the biggest hindrances for me when it came to my self-care and in rebuilding my relationship with myself, acceptance. And its less favorable cousin that no one wants to invite to the dinner party, grief. This is another one of those things that I didn't fully understand until I was able to look at my life from a wider lens, from a greater perspective, so to speak. On the surface, I thought I understood who I was and what motivated me. After all, the great sages of eons past say things like, know thyself, or to have mastery over yourself means to understand everything about your mind. And so I went about trying to figure out who Corey was, and why Corey did the things that Corey does. On the surface, I could see a natural progression. My rough start, with a mother who was unpredictable and had many mental health issues, and a father who's narcissistic and inconsistent in his love and support, leaving me desperately trying to prove my worth and value to him well into adulthood. I wanted to be better, to prove to him that I wasn't like my mom, the person he hated so much, and in doing so, somehow earn his love and affection. So I had motivation to prove him wrong, to prove that I'm worthy, that I'm lovable despite my many imperfections and circumstances. And this motivation carried me pretty far, probably because the motivation was fueled by my fear of failure. I remember one night I was crying because I hadn't made all of the writing goals I'd set for myself that week. Big surprise, given how high my expectations always are. And I broke down crying in front of my wife, Kim, And she turns to me and says, You're doing fine. I don't understand why you're so upset. And I blurted, Because if I fail, it means everything he said about me is true. He, in this case, of course, being my father. Now if I had any doubt that my sense of self-worth is tied to my success, here we are. Because of course my father is absolutely a delusional narcissist, which means that he hasn't seen either of his children clearly a single day in his life. And nonetheless, this moment was pretty pivotal for me. Because once I was able to say aloud, if I fail, it means everything he said about me is true, I had found the center of my fear, and I had realized that my motivation to push myself, to always keep improving myself on every level, while sometimes helpful, it was for the wrong reasons. Fortunately, like most things, once I bring a bit of awareness to it, shine some light on it, my coping mechanisms stop working. And what happened was I needed a new motivation for making myself happier, healthier, and more successful. Once I excavated this deep, dark truth, what I found beneath it was a disturbing fact. I didn't want to take care of myself. I just didn't want to do it. It was still true that I didn't want to gratify my father into thinking he was right about me. That I was, in fact, just as mentally unwell as my mother. Just as bowled over and controlled by her emotions. Just as weak-willed things that he always accused me of. But here was this equally true fact, that for some reason, I did not want to assume the responsibility for my own care. 
So I went to my toolbox. I did some Tonglin meditation around my feelings of worthlessness, lack of motivation, resistance, that general feeling of not wanting to do something. I did a lot of journaling, sifting through my memories and conversations with my father, trying to wrap my head around why I took his words to heart, why I cared so much what he thought of me, and why I didn't want to take care of myself. And finally, through all of this self-reflection, I arrived at another deeper level of awareness, of understanding. And the truth was, I discovered that I didn't want to take care of myself. I didn't want to accept full responsibility for myself because that meant I had to accept the fact that no one was ever going to take care of me. My desperate need for a mother who would look after me, for a father who could identify and meet my emotional needs, for parents who would put me first, who would be concerned for me, who would check up on me, parents who I could count on in times of need, that was never going to happen, ever, in this whole life. And that hurt. It hurt a lot. By uncovering this truth, I had discovered a well of grief inside me for something I had never got and would never get. And it was that grief that was keeping me from accepting full responsibility for my care. Because in order to accept full responsibility for my care, I would have to let go of this hope that somehow things would be different, that they would change into the way I'd always wanted them to be. Once I was able to see this clearly, I realized that if I wanted to get serious about my care, I was going to have to process this grief around the care I never received, around the type of parents I didn't have and would never have. And even now, I feel a pretty deep chord of sadness when I talk about it, or when I think about it. But because I've done the work to process the grief, it no longer interferes with my ability to take care of myself, which was my goal. But how did I get there? How did I remove this obstacle in order to get to a mental and emotional space where I could prioritize my self-care? where I could find motivation to do my self-care, and that motivation doesn't come from a destructive self-loathing place, but instead from a loving and affirming place. Essentially, how did I get to where it was possible to give myself the kind of care I always deserved but never received? And now you're going to see why I spent so much time focusing on assembling our toolbox before we started. First up, meditation. I took all of my feelings of grief and loss to my meditation practice with me. I kept up with the 5 to 10 minutes of awareness meditation that I'd already been doing, because without continuing to build my awareness, I would have never been able to dig down to the truth of what had been holding me back in the first place. But for the second part of the meditation, the second 15 to 20 minutes of my 30-minute session, I did Tong Lin, not just for myself, but for all the grieving people in the world, who were contending with a feeling of loss or regret like I was. I tried several different visualizations in order to access this grief and to finally feel it in its full form. First, I imagined all the children out there who felt like they hadn't received love or care from their parents. I pictured little babies abandoned. I breathed in the grief for both of us and exhaled relief for both of us. I pictured kids whose parents had died or left them or parents who were in jail. I pictured young adults who just wanted someone to worry about them, to look out for them, to care about where they were. I breathed in all the heartbreaks and disappointments we suffer when we love another person who can't love us back quite the same way. I breathed in for all of us and out for all of us. And that did help. Another visualization that I found particularly helpful was I ran through visualizing myself, Corey, at different ages. I pictured myself as a newborn looking like a squishy little raisin, 
then three months old, then a year old, trying to walk. Me at three, six, nine, twelve years old. Me as a teenager. Me as a struggling twenty-something. Me last week. At every age and stage, I took myself into my arms and I kissed my cheeks. And I told that Corey how much I loved her, how much I care about her, how I'm always going to be there for her no matter what, and that I promised to give her the best care that I possibly can, and that there was nothing, absolutely nothing that she could do that would ever make me give up on her. And just a heads up that this activity is amazing, but I absolutely bawled my way through it more than a few times. So, if you're someone who doesn't like to ugly cry with other people around, you might want to try it when you're alone. Just letting you know. Apart from meditation, I also journaled quite a bit about my grief. I let myself say everything that I ever needed to say to my parents. Conversations we were never able to have. I also tried to work through things that I didn't understand. I just wrote and wrote and wrote any and everything that came up. I didn't censor myself. I didn't tell myself you shouldn't think that about your parents or you shouldn't feel that way about your parents. I didn't contradict anything I wrote. There was no, yeah, but they tried their best. I made no excuses. Everything that needed to be said was said. I also made affirmations for my grief. I had statements like, I'm deserving of care and love. I am loved. I am healthy. I'm well cared for. And so on and so forth. And I said these for years. I ramped up my positive self-talk when I would start to get down about my losses or feel resistance when I tried to take care of myself. I reminded myself that I'm not less worthy because I have to take care of myself. I'm not less loved because I don't have someone to take care of me. I'm not weak because I struggle to meet my own needs or because I need time to figure out how to take care of myself. And when I was taking care of myself, I made sure to say affirming things. When I'd make myself a meal, I'd say, I am so proud of myself. Look at all of these veggies. Who deserves this amazing meal? Who do I love? Same for when I exercised or I managed to go to bed early. I'd remind myself that I was doing these things not because someone didn't love me, but because I loved me. And in general, I would recommend getting comfortable with the cycle of contraction and resistance, followed by release and letting go. It's not like, woo, we just keep getting better and better. Progress, progress, progress. Or at least I've certainly never managed that. Instead, it's more like, I do good things, then I contract and resist, and I don't want to do good things. There's a setback, I have a bad day, maybe all I eat is cereal and mac and cheese for a week, and I do zero exercise, I'm sadder than ever, and then I say, okay, this happened, it's over. And I recommit to my desire to be a well-cared-for human, and so I try again. I restart the meditation, I restart the journaling and affirming, I make one healthy meal, if that's all I can manage, and I start building myself back toward a good routine. This is a more realistic portrayal of healing, doing great and sometimes not doing so great, not this unreasonable progress and perfection stuff I see all over the internet. I don't know anyone in real life who's actually healed like that. So all I'm saying to you is that you might find it hard to take care of yourself, and I encourage you to look deeper into why that is. What core belief are you carrying around what deep, dark, terrible fear are you holding on to that's impeding your ability to commit to taking care of yourself? Do what you can to become aware of it. And once you're aware of it, be very kind to yourself as you work through it. And even after you're aware and even after you're doing the work, make space for the days when you absolutely cannot meet your own expectations. 
It's very important to be gentle with yourself then too. And over time, with enough practice, it will get easier and easier to take good care of yourself. Your good habits will start to replace your bad ones. I promise. Okay, so that's it for this week. I really hope this episode was helpful, and I'll be back next week to talk about things that we could all stop doing for the sake of our poor, tortured minds. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.